Hello, hello, hello! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting episode of Sinistry! The podcast that explores all of the weirdest history shit you'll find, the historically bizarre and the bizarrely historic. And with me today, as always, is my buddy Pat. Hello! And it's been a long time since you've heard from too us. Too long. Way too long. We kind of are slackers. Um, <laughs> a little bit. A little tiny bit. bit. We have taken measures to improve mm-hmm. that. We oh. have we have hired brutal, brutal management. Oh, yeah. Whiplashing. So. Will whip us into shape and mm-hmm. keep us on deadlines, which will be to everybody's benefit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you guys are really going to enjoy the things that are coming up. And Absolutely. So, hopefully, you remember what we talked about in episode one. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a while. It's been a little while, so... It's been a bit. There's forgiveness if you need to be reminded in certain things. So, if you forgot, you can always go back and listen to it again. Yes, thank you for listening to the first one. Absolutely. So many of you did, and we really appreciate it. And now now you have a second one. Including Hodor from Game of Thrones, Christian Nairn. If you could believe that. I mean, it's crazy. Hodor listened to us. Yeah, the only thing you could say about it was Hodor. Uh, yes. Yeah, that's it. I don't get the reference, but yes. Some of you will. Some of you will get it. Yes. Right? Probably most of you. <laughs> Not I. So, we're going to jump back into our favorite mother, yeah. Marianne Cotton. Mother and of the century. when last we left you, Marianne Cotton was... In custody for murder. Yes. Child murder. Yes. One of many. Um, many, many, many. Specifically for the murder of Charles Cotton. Yep. Her final husband's child. Mm-hmm. The last living Cotton. <laughs> yeah. The last of the livings, the last to die. Um, and also the possession of mysterious powder. Mm. Yeah. Anthrax. Not anthrax. Maybe anthrax. But none of this could have been without the heroic antics of parish official Thomas Riley. Well, heroic depending on how you end up believing about this. Mm-hmm. Because Mr. Thomas Riley is very overzealous in chasing down Marianne Cotton. Yes. And as we'll see today, as bad as she is, she's an awful. She may have been an awful, awful human being who murdered uh, twenty kids and four husbands. Maybe she didn't, and there's definitely not great evidence presented in her trial. Uh? Yeah, um, there's the po- a possibility, a possibility that Marianne was railroaded. Oh wow! Yeah, right to the gallows. But we're gonna, we'll let you decide that after we present the evidence. Right. As much as I think that she did that shit, it comes down to you, the listener. We're just providing you a discussion. Yes, exactly. About who is the greater of the Hanks? Um, we weren't, but it's Tom. Well, you know. No, no, it's Tom. <laughs> it's Tom. To each their own. It's Tom. Okay. It's Tom. <laughs> Absolutely. No more. We're not we're not arguing Hanks's anymore. Okay. When Colin Hanks has done something that I remember him doing, we can re-argue Hanks. Bringing back 1114, Hillary Swank, Patrick Swayze. It was a great movie kind of. Not really. Never saw. It. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's not really that memorable. Yeah. 
So, anyway, <clears throat> July 19th, 1872, Marianne Cotton, stewing in her prison cell oh, in shit. Durham County Jail for a month. It was just the anniversary. It like, was. Two days ago. Two days ago. Happy anniversary, Marianne Cotton. Happy anniversary as your life comes I guess. to an end. I guess. It was 147 years. Wow. Holy shit. What timing? Yeah. This was not on purpose. This was definitely not on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. So she's just sitting in jail for a month, awaiting not even the full trial, just a grand jury hearing. (laughs) You just sit there and think about what you've done, young lady. But meanwhile, back in West Auckland, Thomas Riley and Sergeant Hutchinson are digging for more evidence of the vile and despicable crimes Marianne Cotton is alleged to have committed. And they are deliberating and coming up with a plan, and it's... Took like an hour of brainstorming. Yeah, it didn't take them very long to come up with a whole lot. And they really did not come up with a whole lot. Their solution is essentially, we're going to find the evidence we need, so we're going to dig up Charles Cotton's body. What? Yeah, they're going to exhume Charlie. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, they got to try to find the poison because somehow they think 1872 Uh, forensics, they're going to be able to figure this out. Spot on. Conclusively. Yeah, spot on. Yeah, Um, they need some tissue from his body and his stomach. And his stomach is conveniently and strangely buried in Dr. Kilburn's yard. What? Yeah, they buried his stomach in the yard. What? What? (laughs) Why would they do that? Um, I'm not 100% sure. Fertilizer, safekeeping. Um, and it's, it, it may be important to note now that there may have been arsenic in his yard too, because there's arsenic everywhere. Uh, And the only parts of his yard that were apparently ever tested were the area where his kids played. (laughs) Not the area where he buried the internal organs of a dead child. (laughs) Who buries internal organs of a dead child? Dr. Kilburn. Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) That's the short of it, I guess. Uh, Yeah, and I mean, it's not even really the strangest thing. They've decided they need a stool sample from dead Charlie. What? Yeah, they need to take some of his poo. What? Yeah, I guess um, testing poo for arsenic is going to be effective. How'd they get it? Um, Did he bury his colon too? (laughs) I don't think his colon was in the yard, but they were able to exhume his body. And I guess there was some poo still in him. How long does shit stay in the body for? um, That is beyond my area of expertise. Don't you shit your pants when you die? I would. I'd do it right now. (laughs) I might have. (laughs) And in the pre-recording, there was an incident. (laughs) In the warm-ups. There was quite an incident, and hopefully that incident is not repeated. Hopefully. Well, we'll edit it in post, maybe. Maybe. We catch it. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we have managers now. It's hey, catch, yeah, yeah. It's their job. They'll catch that, I think. <laughs> so they, they round up all these samples, including the poo, and they send them to Leeds to one Dr. Scattergood, a poisons and toxicology expert. Who we're going to sit here from so many more times. I like this guy. Um, Kind of. Kind of. <laughs> kind of. He kind of is also full of shit. Kind of. 
kind of. We're going to find that, that Dr. Scattergood may not be keeping up on the modern advancements in toxicology and may not really give a shit either. Yeah, Dr. Scattergood or How I Learned to Stop Worrying <laughs> and Love Arsenic. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Peter Sellers. <laughs> so they begin the grand jury trial while Dr. Scattergood is examining the, sh- the shit with magistrates Hick and Jobson starting against Marianne Cotton on August 20th, 1872, and the first person they called to the stand, get your scorecards ready because it's another one of those episodes, oh, is God. one Marianne Dodds. All of these goddamn names sound so similar. You can't throw a stone without hitting a Marianne or a Margaret. Yeah, no, it it, it gets very confusing. You're going to want to keep, keep track of this, I think, because... Yeah. You can start that drinking game again if you'd like. Yeah. Every time you hear Marianne or Mary or Margaret, drink. Yeah, have a drink. Uh, you might not make it to the end, <laughs> but you can start again tomorrow. Oh, there you go. Um, so Marianne Dodds was a friend of Marianne Cotton's, but also her neighbor. So she's close to them. She has an idea of what's going on. Um, so she's asked about Charles, and she says, um, yeah, well, there was this time that Marianne Cotton sent him to the store to buy some soft soap and, um, some arsenic. Of course. Because she used that combination to, to kill bugs. And kids. But remember last episode when we told you it was in everything? Like, it was literally in everything? It was even in the soap. I mean, just Google it right now. Whatever you're doing, just Google it. You'll see old-timey ads for, like, Dr. Campbell's safe arsenic complexion wafers. It's like when Lucky Strike hired all those doctors to say it was their safer cigarette. It wasn't? Yeah. In a way, it was toasted. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Anytime you toast anything, yeah. it's better. Just great. Yeah. Great for you. Yeah. So, so toasted cigarettes is the way to go. Yeah. Toast them. Yeah. Put them in the toaster. <laughs> Low heat. Unless you want it directly into your lungs. Yeah. Because then just open your mouth and go, (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) fucking whale shark. (laughs) So apparently uh, arsenic and soft soap is an insecticide Mm -hmm. used less frequently by this point in time than it had been, but still used. Well, we use borax and sugars to get rid of the ants. I mean, why not? I can see it. It just seems irresponsibly dangerous when you have small children running around. Unless you're Marianne Cotton, you literally live to see the life go out of the eyes of the innocent. Well, maybe. Maybe. So the shopkeep felt the same way, that it was not a responsible thing to do, and refused to sell the arsenic to Charles. So he comes home, and mommy, they wouldn't let me buy the arsenic. Beats the shit out of him. (laughs) (laughs) Just wails that kid. And for some reason, I'm not certain, there's no documentation as to why Marianne Cotton decides... Marianne Dodds needs to go get it for her. Why can't Marianne Cotton get off her fucking ass and go get her own arsenic to kill the kid? I don't know. But she does. She sends Marianne Dodds. So she's like creating a string of witnesses to to this crime. Seriously, could you imagine this poor woman's shock that she found out that this was a murder case for Charles who died of arsenic poisoning? She probably could never forgive herself for buying that shit. <laughs> and she's not done. Like She goes oh, on to testify about um, the gossip about the excise officer, John Quick Manning, who Marianne oh, Cotton yeah. may or may not have been in love with and may or may not have been carrying on an affair with. 
The guy who they killed smallpox. Killed kids with smallpox together, right? They did not kill kids with smallpox I together. I thought they did that. No, no. I, that was the English and the Native Americans. Oh, yes. God, I get them all confused. There is no evidence that John Quick Manning killed any of these children. He may have loved Marianne Cotton. What? He may have. I mean, or maybe Marianne just was just making some shit up. Uh. Because it's... It, Again, this is another area where she's very confused about the nature of the relationship. Um, she thinks that Quick Manning may have fallen madly in love with Marianne Cotton, even if she had a child that wasn't even hers. He didn't seem to give a shit. He just wanted Marianne Cotton. Huh. What? He, I mean, he loved that James Woods thing. <laughs> so, but Cotton tells Marianne Dodds a, another story altogether that, no, nah, this is just a job. I don't love this guy. Why? But, what? But who knows? I mean, Marianne may have been trying to keep it secret. She may, you know, be... Listen, regardless of the times, it's always, always gossip fodder if somebody who's recently widowed starts uh. dating somebody else. Like, people are going to start talking. Ooh, it's only been two months since her husband died, and she's already banging that quick manning guy. Perhaps, and, you know, just hear me out. But perhaps she was ashamed by the fact that she was cheating on her one true love, Joseph Natris. No. What? No. No. Natris is dead. What? No, no. We got, we're we're going to cut this one off. There's there's no there's no one true love, Joseph Natris. He's dead. Cotton gin. No, no cotton gins. No, <sighs> no cotton gins. No cotton swabs, pads, nothing. Do you know they did a, a series called Dark Angel on PBS uh, no I was trying to find it but they didn't cast Hugh Grant as Joseph Natras and I'm pissed I'm mad I didn't watch it I don't know how good it is but the fact that Hugh Grant <laughs> is not Joseph Natras really makes me angry and who did you want them to cast as Marianne Cotton um James Woods and he was actually okay so <laughs> alright all right. it was directed by David Cronenberg well <laughs> That's an interesting portrayal of Marianne Cotton. Then. Just everyone was just exploding. It was crazy. Insane body horror. Yeah, my God. <laughs> so no, no, there's no cotton gin. Um, so Dodds finishes, and next on the stand is the stomach-burying Dr. Kilburn and his assistant, Dr. Chalmers, who goes on to an illustrious career in Springfield as the doctor for The <laughs> Simpsons. He's great. Skinner! He's he's great. But, you know, anyway, or superintendent, he goes on to some shit in The Simpsons. I mean, Chalmers, Chalmers is, he gets big. <laughs> he he grow, outgrows this case. He's, he's legendary. So they, they're the ones that treated Charles Cotton, and they did the post-mortem. The and, poop mortem. <laughs> the poop mortem, too. So their testimony is short, sweet, to the point. You know, they describe the symptoms of gastric fever in the child and the presence of the white powder. And, you know, of course, uh, maybe it's arsenic. You know, after this, Dr. Kilburn and Dr. Chalmers enjoyed a dinner of steamed hams. Yes, yes, they did. Very tasty steamed hams. And they're done. I mean, you know, they say what they need. And now here comes big bad Dr. Scatterface. Having concluded his shit studies, he swaggers up to the stand... 
far and beyond the most damning evidence on Marianne Cotton. He went up there like a ghetto boy song, pimp-leaning his way up there. And for good reason. Thomas Scattergood was a huge deal back then. He was the foremost authority in forensic medicine and toxicology nationwide. He had his own practice in Leeds while lecturing on chemistry, forensic medicine, and toxicology all the while. Two years after this trial, he was instrumental in the amalgamation of the medical school with Yorkshire University and became the dean of the faculty of medicine there until he died in 1900. From 1850 on, according to two of the three notebooks held at the Yorkshire University, he was being sent case after case of suspected poisoning. He spoke with an unshakable authority, and his beard was killer. 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 So, Dr. Killerbeard Scattergood comes up, and, you know, he, he performed the aut- autopsy on Charles, and he concludes there's no evidence of gastric fever. His kid didn't have that. But he did have arsenic everywhere. It's in his lungs, his heart, his liver, his stomach, his kidneys, and in his shit that Dr. Scattergood dug through with a spoon. <laughs> Scattergood sums it all up saying... Inflammations of such a kind are produced by an irritant poison, and that Marianne was officially charged with the murder of Charles Cotton. Spoiler alert! The only murder she's ever charged with, ever! Well, at this point, it's still open. They're still investigating the other deaths, because there are obviously a lot of other deaths to investigate. So they, they now decide they're going to try to find more evidence and more cases. So it's time to order more exhumations. Oh, God. Which is a fucking shit show. <laughs> oh, God. Um, notably, William Dale Trotter wants to dig up your buddy, Pat. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to dig up Joseph Natris. Um, and, you know, they they need to check his body because he was around. Just let the man rest in peace, for Christ's sake. He had his heart torn asunder by his true love. He was treated as badly as James Woods treats his mental health. And the cemetery resembled James Woods' Twitter feed. Oh, God. Oh, no. Yeah. So, remember we talked about documentation in Victorian era, era hey. England last episode? Hey. <laughs> that is just kind of, oh, we're not writing anything down. There's no documentation for anything. <laughs> put it there. All right. Dig a hole there. We're going to put this one here. Who is this one? I don't know. Just put him there. Uh, Frederick Cottemeyer? <laughs> so they have no map. No document. I don't think most of the people working in this cemetery could have told you who was even buried there. (laughs) If they were buried there. Anything. So, they just start digging. There's no headstones. There's no records. They just start digging. We think he might be over here. Let's dig over here. (laughs) Who's here? This isn't him. I don't know who the fuck this is, but this isn't Joe Natris. Dig over there. So they just keep fucking digging. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Found John Gotti in there, too. <laughs> hey, is that Jimmy Hoffa? No, wait, 100 years Jeez, too John early. John Gotti, am I an idiot? <laughs> Jesus. Hey, Columbus! <laughs> but, oh yeah, no, no no, records, no nothing. We're just digging them all. It dig- oh we're just going to keep digging holes this until we find this guy. Victorian shit I've ever heard in my life. 
and somehow they find him. What? Yeah. They find Joe Natchez or somebody who looks enough like him at that point that they're going to go with it. He's just the most handsome corpse there. I mean, it's Hugh Grant, for Christ's sake. Yeah. And so Dr. Kilburn gets the corpse examined, and he sends what he finds to Scattergood. And, of course, they decide there's no gastric fever, but there is arsenic. Now, again, there's arsenic in the fucking ground, too. Meanwhile, Dr. Chalmers, he's really upset because Dr. Kilburn wouldn't let him see the Aurora Borealis localized entirely in his Skinner! <laughs> Skinner! May I see them? So, with, with this new bullet in his clip, Trotter's now out of his mind. This is like, he's now Ahab. He's oh, found his white whale. Marianne Cotton oh, is his God. white whale. He's gonna keep digging for more evidence. And now he wants to exhume more cottons. What? Yep. Junior, Fred Jr., Fred Sr., and Robert Cotton. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> oh. they don't know where they are either. <laughs> so, they dig seven holes to find Joe. Dude. <laughs> or find, again, something that approximates Joe. I, I, don't, I mean, Joe's been in the ground a few months now. I don't know that Joe's going to be Oh, that. my God. Yep, so they've dug up the whole cemetery, essentially, to find the cottons, and under the guidance of several doctors, they can't even find Fred Sr. They dug up... How long did this take? (laughs) This must have took days of, like, five dudes digging up all these corpses going, no, that's all right, let's just throw it over. Nope, nope, not him, not him. And they never find Fred (laughs) Sr. So listen... A potty, a pile of bodies (laughs) in the corner... Right now, if Marianne, Marianne Cotton had Johnny Cochran as an attorney, she's acquitted. <laughs> because all you have to do is say, um, Fred Sr. isn't dead. We can't yeah. find his body. Oh my god, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> it's a great There's defense. no body. Fred Sr. killed all his kids and walked away, faked his Holy death. Holy shit. Marianne Cotton did it. Boom. If the glove don't fit. You must acquit. <laughs> if you can't find Fred Sr.'s body... I don't know. Something yeah, something rhyming, then blah blah blah. Not guilty. Yeah, you can't send her to that. Acquit. No. Yeah, you must acquit. <laughs> if you can't find the body, you must acquit. <laughs> so again, now Doctor Kilburn's digging through evidence of more bodies that are presumed to be cottons, and Doctor Scattergood Scattergood's doing his forensic tests, and everything's pointing to arsenic. And meanwhile. Marianne Cotton continues to languish in Durham County Jail. Oh, yeah, that's where she is. Pregnant. What? Pregnant. Oh. Yeah, Marianne's pregnant again in jail. Um, Presumably with a quick manning baby, but... Uh, okay. Yeah, she's she's knocked up, and... um. um. So the evidence now becomes public, and once the evidence becomes public, Marianne's kind of fucked. <laughs> She's still managed up until this point to hold some value in the community that people are not rushing to to, to hang her because, you know, there there is still the belief that she could be just this poor, unlucky woman whose whole family died, Mm -hmm. which was not that uncommon in the 19th century, except that what they didn't know is this was four times over. Yes. But with all the exhumations at the cemetery and the accusations of arsenic as a weapon and, you know, the love children and their 
affairs, people start to turn on Marianne. Sure, they had enough help with it, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, if you're digging up all the bodies at the cemetery, you're probably pissing some people off, too. Absolutely. The pile of rotting corpses. But, <laughs> but like, they put out a whole bunch of publicity photos advertising this trial. Like, the most famous one, the one you go on Google's that look like James Woods. That's why the joke came. You look around, you'll come across these old, like, wrestling promo photos <laughs> where her features are all manipulated. She looks all devilish <laughs> and evil. I'm not saying that she isn't at all. But it definitely didn't hurt up her case at all. Marianne Cotton, weighing in at 280 pounds from parts unknown. <laughs> she throws white powder in the faces of the guys when the ref has her back turned. She's got, she's got a little kid outside distracting them after the match. She murders the kid in the ring. Pro wrestling was fierce in the 1870s. Oh my god. <laughs> Vince McMahon's great 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 grandfather ran a hell of a fucking promotion. Oh fuck. <laughs> so the case blows up. Marianne's a, the biggest villain in the world mm -hmm. and she's guilty. I mean, mm -hmm. she's guilty until proven innocent and it's going to be real hard to prove her innocent. And that's not even the worst part for Marianne. Mm -hmm. Marianne gets herself a lawyer George Frederick Smith this He's appointed And the first his first task As Marianne's attorney Is to ensure that he's going to get paid To be Marianne's <laughs> attorney And he sells off all her furniture This fucking guy is a hustler Through and through It's almost fucking karmic How laughably shitty this guy is to Marianne this guy is a walking appeal. <laughs> like if, if this happened now in the United States, it, this is a guarantee appeal. <laughs> so finally he sits down to consult with Marianne, and his consultation consists essentially of him telling her to not say a word. To be fair. Ever. To be fair. It's very good advice. It's very good advice. Don't say anything. Not a thing without a competent lawyer. Yes. Not this guy. Well, Marianne takes this very much to heart. She does not say a goddamn thing. And after that consultation, George ditches her. First day of the trial, Monday. The guy doesn't even show up. Oh, my God. And then the next day, Tuesday morning, he showed, he's dragged into the court. The judge has to order Smith to be brought really? to court. And, oh my God! And so he cut. He shows up in court and he's like, "Yeah, man, I was only paid for one day, Jesus and that was yesterday. Christ. So if she doesn't have any more money to pay me, so I'm done." <laughs> this dude just walked into the jail, so like, "Hi, Marianne. Hi, George. Nice place you got here. A little small, but it's jail. What are you gonna do? Went to your house. Love the furniture. Beautiful and more. Love the dining set. Gonna look great in my house, huh? Yeah, I took it payment. But don't worry, I'm gonna get you out of here. Okay, first thing you do, you shut the fuck up. Don't speak. Anyone else ask if you did it? Shut the fuck up. How many kids you had? Shut the fuck up. Baby okay? Shut the fuck up. What time is it? Shut the fuck up. You only talk when I'm here, got it? And believe me, I'm gonna get you out. You and me, babe. It's us against the world. Everyone out there knows you did it, but it's alright. I'm the best. All you gotta do is shut the fuck up. Well, that about wraps up what you paid me, so I'm gonna head up out of here. Uh, good luck with all this. It's your funeral. Remember, shut the fuck up. And that's it. I mean, she... One thing you can say for Marianne Cotton is she follows legal advice well. <laughs> and come January, Marianne Cotton gives birth to the final cotton child, or final whoever fucking baby this yeah, is, seriously. which she names 
Yeah, Margaret. <laughs> of course. Margaret Edith Quickman in Cotton, who forever will be unable to fit her whole name on one line <laughs> of a page. A passport is a nightmare. <laughs> and for some reason, they let Marianne Cotton keep the baby to nurse in jail. Right back to weaponizing a child. <laughs> I figure she only cared for this kid is to garner sympathy for herself. I don't know if she was even capable of giving a sliver of a shit about her kids. Remember, there's still a baby she stole from James Robinson out there somewhere. Not once since just dumping him off has he been mentioned. Now she only cares about this Margaret because her literal life is in the balance. Yeah, and I mean, it's a strong possibility. And outside of the jailhouse nursery, shit is going crazy. Yes. This is the trial of the century. This is OJ in 1872. <laughs> So the prosecu- prosecutors Wait, everywhere are scrambling. We want this case. This is going to make my career. This is a, this, the slam dunk of slam dunks. I need to be a part of this trial. And the public is like frothing at the mouth. This is like... Oh, yeah. I, and it gets to be so much excitement that Trotter's now selling tickets to the courtroom. Because this was the Super Bowl. This was the World Cup for these poor people in Victorian England. Mostly because there was literally nothing else. These people were poor and beaten down, and they were itching for a villain like Marianne Cotton. Yeah, and I mean, 147 years ago, we couldn't resist a fucking super trial any more than we can now. Good point. We fucking love this shit. Absolutely. And we loved it in 1872 also. What's what's that one? Casey Anthony. Yeah. You know, look at her. I mean, same shit. Kind of, not really. We loved it. The The OJ trial was on every TV. TV yeah. screen every day. Yep. You can't find people who were of, you know, 18 plus at that point in time mm-hmm. that didn't see at least some of the trial. Mm-hmm. I remember being at work when the verdict came and everybody stopped and watched the fucking TV. Holy shit. The whole freaking Caldor stopped to watch the oh verdict. Oh my God. Read. Every, you wanted to see how it ended. Even if you knew how it was going to end, you wanted mm-hmm. to see how it ended. More things change. Yeah, it was insane. After Trotter sells the tickets, he actually gets down to the business of what he's there to do. And he starts to detail the deaths of the children, the husband, Natris, and tying them all up nice and neat with Scattergood's findings of, of arsenic. And more importantly, he brought up the fact that Marianne Cotton was the only person who cared for or even fed the victims. She refused food from the neighbors. You know, it, it, she wouldn't She wouldn't help them. She wouldn't accept the help. She refused to bury Robert until Joe Natris died. I mean, you know, maybe she was getting what? a two-for-one. Wait, what? Yeah, she wouldn't. She The dead kid died, but she knew Natris was on the way out, too, so she wouldn't bury him until she had two to bury. Uh, I don't know. Two-for-one. <laughs> two-for-one deal. We're just going to put them over here somewhere. <laughs> um, there. <laughs> just toss them. Yeah. So, I mean, she ordered the burial clothes before they died. You know, she Trotter's got witnesses saying that, that Joseph kept getting worse and worse. And Marianne was only attentive. Nobody else could help. Phoebe Robson, a neighbor, came to try to help. And she wouldn't. Marianne wouldn't let her help, and now he's having seizures that the doctors can't explain. Uh, I don't like where this is heading. 
And meanwhile, another friend, Jane Headley, comes on and she visited Joseph and she testifies. The only thing Joseph said to the doctors was that he had a fever and nothing else. I'm, I'm going to be okay. And Jane also shed light to the fact that Marianne was promised money and a watch Uh-oh. from Natris in the event of his death. And that Marianne had sent Jane out quite often to buy soft soap and arsenic for the bugs. I really don't like this. So Dr. Dr. Richardson, the know-it-all who treated Natris, comes up next, and he testifies to his treatments of Joseph. And goddamn, if these treatments didn't fucking kill him. <laughs> so bicarbonate of soda, fine. I don't think that's going to help him, but fine. That's not morphia. Huh? Mm-hmm. Hydrocyanic acid. <laughs> and acetate of lead. You treated him like a fucking Jeffrey Dahmer victim. Yeah, yeah. Here, take this fucking lead. <laughs> You're gonna be fine. Pouring acid into his head. <laughs> Drink some acid, take some lead. We're, we're good. <laughs> but somehow this fucking guy comes to the same fucking conclusion. Natris died of arsenic poisoning. Oh my god, I hate I, this guy. I mean, listen, we're, we're in a time where people died as much from the medications that they were yeah. being prescribed as from the actual illness. I mean, here, take some fucking lead. Let's dig up some uranium and give that to you as well. <laughs> and some rattlesnake venom. Watch and well, that and you'll whiskey. be fine. Yeah, watch <laughs> it down with this whiskey. You're good. Don't drive. Current affairs. <laughs> um, you and, guys would really look into that story. It's fucking fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just, fantastic. Just Google rattlesnake uranium. And it's, it's amazing. Henry Hissinger. Yeah. <laughs> so, on top of that, Marianne gets a pretty healthy life insurance check, which is also entered into record. So, um, Pat, what does this imply? I don't know. No, no, you know. Tell me. Mm. What does this imply? I want to hear you say it. Maybe Marianne didn't love him and killed him for his money. Excuse me, maybe? Maybe what? Maybe Marianne didn't love him and killed him for his money. Maybe? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely paints that picture. (laughs) Now... We've got the cotton gin idea out of your head. Let's mm-hmm. move on. It's still played by Hugh Grant. Dead Hugh Grant. Dead Hugh <laughs> It's important to note, all this evidence being put forth, Marianne is still sitting there like she's mute. <laughs> totally silent. <laughs> she does not... She's given the opportunity to question the witnesses. She doesn't say a fucking thing. Oh, my God. She just sits there. She, I mean, she's following the advice... Exactly. To the letter, man. To the letter. Shut the fuck up. No questions. Nothing. So the next set of evidence comes about on about the cotton children. I think it's important to note that we haven't really heard of any of these people before now. They're just pouring in from the woodworks, ready and almost excited to nail Marianne to the cross. Yeah, I mean these people were neighbors that I know I have neighbors, they're not my friends. They don't Mm. know anything that goes on here, so do these people actually know a fucking thing about yeah. what went on in Marianne's house? I mean... Just something to be famous by, probably. Yeah. You know, something to get your name out there. I'm important. So it's a, it's a revolving door. And they all basically say largely the same thing, mm-hmm. almost like they're coached. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Sarah Smith 
pops up to say to talk about Frederick Jr., who's the first child to be examined. And Sarah's called, and um, she visited a lot while Junior was sick. And with each visit, the child had grown more and more ill, which tends to happen with mm. ill people, mm-hmm. especially if they have some sort of fatal illness like that. Mm-hmm. But she also makes the claim that Marianne confided in her that she was worried the child had smallpox and that she gave him tea from a special teapot. And every time he drank that tea, he vomited violently. Oh, my God. And, you know, he's still got a leech wound on him that is profusely bleeding. What? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you remember from episode one, they leeched this kid. Oh, my God. So this kid was just vomiting and bleeding everywhere? Was he possessed? Was this the exorcist? Yes, they brought in an old priest and a young (laughs) priest, and he still didn't fucking get better. Max von Sydow just couldn't do it. It, but it's a fucking horror show. I mean, this this Phoebe Robson, Elizabeth Atkinson, they all confirm that there's this special tea that makes this boy vomit. Oh, my God. And that, you know, Marianne turned away anything else saying it would do him no good. There are red flags literally everywhere, and it truly boggles my mind that not one person suspected Marianne of murdering these poor children before Thomas Riley. There seems to be so much evidence, and it only gets worse from here. After a quick confirmation of treatment by Dr. Kilburn, Dr. Scattergood returns to inform the court he he had found 1.5 grains of arsenic in the boy's body, and there was no evidence of gastric fever at all. Yeah, so, so now they've got, they've established that. They bring up a chemist named Thomas Detchen from Newcastle. Might seem weird to follow Scattergood with a fucking chemist. I mean, we're not talking chemists now. Chemists mm-hmm. then are pharmacists and yeah. not trained. They're just some guy that pours some shit in a fucking bottle for you. <laughs> I think they still call him that in, in apothecaries in, in England. Yeah, I think they do. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, it, it, I think it's important that we point out that we're not talking like fucking some guy splitting yeah. an atom or something. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. like. This isn't chemistry as we talk about. Mm. This is untrained pharmacists. Mm -hmm. Um, So they bring him up and he's talking about um, he's the witness that they need to to tie Marianne directly to arsenic. That Marianne purchased arsenic. In 1869, he's able to, without records, he's able to recall selling arsenic to Marianne Cotton, not knowing it was Marianne Cotton, mm-hmm. only knowing afterwards, mm-hmm. when the trial starts, he said, oh, I sold that lady arsenic. Jesus. So, again, like, these are witnesses are questionable, and, you know, he's... He's, you know, just trying to... He try, He says he tried to talk her out of buying it, and she, but she had to have it to kill the kids, uh, bugs. And... You know, he's just there. It's interesting to note, though, that Marianne confirmed this. And this is the only time in the entire pretrial hearing she says a single word. And it's to confirm basically damning evidence. It just seems to me that if you're committed to not saying anything, you definitely shouldn't place yourself buying poison. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you probably shouldn't. But, I mean, it's also important to note, if you had an actual attorney... Yeah, that's true. You probably wouldn't have... Even got that fucking word out. I mean, but Marianne, yeah, I I did that. 
<laughs> and then oh yeah, I did that. So after she's confirmed that, they bring a, a, a an insurance agent, a prudential agent, onto the stand to say that Marianne got five pounds as a payout for the death. And now it's time to talk about Baby Robert. It's very heartbreaking. I mean, we joked a lot about the amount of dead kids in the last episode. This is really sad. The way Marianne supposedly spoke about the baby, referring to him most of the time as it, that just resonates with me. The fact that after all of this evidence, she isn't charged with murder, I mean, it's sad. It is, but again, they, they they really can't ever prove that Marianne purchased arsenic except for this one time yeah. three years earlier mm-hmm. they, ha- they have no evidence actually tying her to it so they bring back the same cast of characters to tell the same stories sarah smith the baby seemed to be getting better but but quickly dropped to near death and marianne wouldn't let anybody help um, she saw Robert eating a piece of bread with a special and unknown syrup Marianne had put on it, which left the baby gasping for air. Oh, God. Um, Mary Tate came back to confirm, yeah, um, I saw similar stuff. I watched the baby sort of be doing better, and then in the final few hours, it declined rapidly. Um... She offered Marianne help, and uh, the response was, My child is a great deal worse. Do not disturb it. Um, you know, listen, I mean, aside from the, the pronoun usage there, I mean, it's, you know, it's a woman who doesn't know what's going on saying, you know, he's not doing well. We should just leave him alone and let him sleep, you mm. know. It's a reasonable parental instinct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Dr. Chalmers believed the kid was only teething. <laughs> I mean, they, like, these doctors are fairly incompetent in themselves. Oh, very much And, so. um, the de- to him, the death was unremarkable. Well, Dr. Kilburn testifies that his treatment is gray powders of mercury and chalk. What? And remarked how he truly believed the child was recovering the very afternoon of the day he died. Wait, a gray powder of what? Mercury. And chalk. Mercury. Wait. Mercury. So, so wait. Mercury is is not the best thing to give a kid. Like, ever. Did did Mercury kill Robert? Well, officially no, because oh. Mr. Dr. Scattergood, the killer beard, comes back and says, No, nah, it's arsenic. Mm-hmm. It's arsenic. Not teething, not mercury. But he's all, I mean, he's hes invested in this at this point, too. I mean, mm-hmm. he's not going to get up there and say, yeah, this guy that we really count on for his testimony with these other deaths may have caused the death of this child with the medications that he caused. Kilburn! Yeah, I mean, so, listen, they, they're definitely stuck to this arsenic story now. Mm-hmm. And uh, But apparently this is not enough to charge Marianne with the murder of anybody else so it's still just Charles Jr. And with that set, pre-trial hearings are closed. And on May 5th, 1873, the trial of Marianne Cotton begins. <clears throat> Again, there were tickets on sale that flew away. In fact, people lined the streets of the courthouse, anxiously awaiting any news. Inside the courthouse, the prosecution was hard at work, 
and the court appointed Charles Russell to lead the prosecution. Russell was a fantastic lawyer back then. His reputation including building up an ironclad argument and dazzling the jury, all the while getting to the truth while maintaining a fair position. This case in particular, probably because of the fame it had accumulated, rocketed his career, and it was the first in several poisoning cases he would work for. He was the last person that a woman with zero legal understanding representing herself would want on the other side. And not only that, but this child was beating the shit out of her. In a matter of months, she'd gone from James Woods in Videodrome to James Woods today. <laughs> like it's, a, it's a horrible decline. It it's, it's really bad. She was haggard, old, feeble, and spouting far-right tweets almost every hour. <laughs> she was not spouting tweets. There was no Twitter yet. <laughs> just, but she would have been. Just sitting in jail, hashtag send her back. <laughs> hashtag not guilty. <laughs> <laughs> but in the first and probably only fortunate event that happens to Marianne during Mee's trial... The court appoints the capable defense attorney, Thomas Campbell Foster. Now, Foster was also a fairly reputable and competent lawyer. The only problem here was this high-profile trial was completely sprung on him. He only had two days to build a defensive argument, literally from nothing. From nothing. And with lawyer, with both lawyers situated, the opening arguments begin, and Russell hit hard and fast with a masterpiece. He crafts this opening statement that highlights the charges against against Marianne, repeatedly addressing how horribly misrepresented she had been, but that he's sympathetic. But listen, there there's a lot of evidence and, and he's she's he's got she's got a competent lawyer now and you know, we got her. It is very talented. What he did was acknowledge and address and add his own sympathy that the jury may have had for Cotton's defense and completely remove it. She had shit, but now she has the best. So yes, it actually can be a fair trial because this guy here is pretty fantastic. And, and he's, yeah, he he's one of those television great attorneys. Yes, oh my he, God, he, it's amazing. He acknowledges the weaknesses of his case. He, he jumps on the, the deaths of the other family members and lovers and, you know... He's not really allowed to go into it, and the jury's ex- instructed to ignore everything but Charles. But he, you know, he glosses over it, he touches it, he makes sure that it gets into the record. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's very skilled, and, and Russell knows it, and he knows, he, you know, just keep reminding him, Marianne, Marianne's a nurse, she would know how to do this. Uh, Charles isn't even her st- son, but it's stepchild, and, you know, it's... It's a burden that's that's been bestowed upon her, and it's not her blood. Well, blood or no blood, that kid was dying anyway with her. Yeah, and he, he highlights that Marianne had not mistreated the boy. Um, she had been violent on 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 occasion, but not un, unusually so. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he brings up the money. And establishes that as a motive, and that Marianne Cotton is the sole beneficiary. Um, he, he slides into the Doctor Kilburn accounts, and that you know they rushed the initial cause of death because they you know they wanted to have something established, and they had not found the arsenic in the in the home yet. Um, but you know he he then sneaks in that she sent the kid to buy it. 
He's owning the mistakes. He's acknowledging the holes and plugging them right in front of the jury. While presenting these holes now, he's taking those weapons away from Foster, who is being rushed already, and now is finding he has even less ammunition than when he started. Yeah, and in almost a day-long opening argument, he, this dude goes on for a fucking day. It's insane. It's, like, it's nuts. You know, and he masterfully addresses means, motive, opportunity, and and finally, finally he's done, and the witnesses are called to the stand. And first up is a former co-worker at the Sunderland Infirmary, Isabella Smith, and he presses her on Marianne's working relationship with George Ward, who's somehow back in this. Without hesitation. Without hesitation, this guy completely dismisses all of his remarks on ignoring the past. I thought originally that maybe he brought up the Ward marriage to subtly influence the jury while stumbling it in the beginning. Or perhaps he only brings Smith to the sand to show how readily available the poison is. That's precisely it. Under cross-examination, Smith admitted how incredibly easy it was to obtain arsenic in the infirmary. But going back to your first thought, the next witness is Sarah Smith, who again repeats her testimony, adding more details to the similarity of the deaths of Charles and Frederick. And Foster objects stating this wasn't pertinent to the trial, but the judge fucking allows it. And this goes on and on. Russell called up a past witness who went on to bring up an entirely different relationship. For instance, Marianne Dodds was called next and repeated her sob story as well, how the boy was fine one day and bedridden dying the next. And not just that, she added that Marianne had told her she she wanted to keep the boy and not send him to a workhouse. And the excise officer, Mr. Quick Manning, quote, adored the ground the boy walked on. So the contradictory story she told on the burden of what, what this child was to her, that, that Quick Manning wouldn't marry her, was just blown out of the water. It's, it's, it's absurd. And next, and the next witness he called was another local chemist, John Townsend, who was a witness to the child buying the famous arsenic soap, making two separate chemists saying the same thing. And after that, the hero of the story, Colin Riley. Thomas Riley, okay. not Colin Hanks. Jesus okay. fucking Christ, we're back to that. Okay. But yes, Thomas Riley finally testifies. And he goes, going back to the last episode, you might remember, Marianne worked with him to care for a smallpox patient on the 6th of July, 1872. Soon into working with him, Marianne turned down the position, claiming she was tied down by Charles. Thus, her conversation about the workhouse came up. Along with the job, she argued that she could not get largers to stay even though you know, Pat, she had <laughs> several lodgers. My man Joe. Eventually, Riley told her that in order for Charles to be admitted... Marianne Cotton would have to follow him into the workhouse. And we know Marianne's not doing that. And, you know, she changes her tune to this morbid pessimism about Charles's health, um, including the comment that Charles would not get up. Or, in Victorian slang, grow up. It also brings a whole new meaning to that James Brown song. Get up, uh, get on up. Get up, uh, get on up. Get on the scene. Uh oh, wait. <laughs> so after a short testimony by um, Relief Officer William Parr, who confirms Marianne's <laughs> ceaseless whining about Charles, Russell brought up the child abuse. 
mostly consisting of the same players. He highlighted Marianne's mistreatment of Charles, citing beatings with leather straps or belts, and multiple times where she starved Charles. And I'm sure that this is a very glass house scenario. I think you said it last episode that it was like very much the norm back then. So probably everybody that said how awful it was that Marianne struck Charles probably smacked their kids in the mouth for looking at the floor the wrong way. But also, as I'm a fair, fair and logical person, Marianne was a psychopath and probably beat the shit to, of this kid to an inch of his life multiple times. I mean, it, it's not impossible, but, you know, it, it's a time where that happened. That was child rearing. Mm-hmm. You know, it, what, what was it? Spare the rod, spoil the child? Yes. I mean, that 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 phrase came mm-hmm. from somewhere. Yep. yep. So, it's now the defense's turn at the stand, and the first witness Foster calls is this fucking idiot Dr. Kilburn. Kilburn?! Um, so under examination, Dr. Kilburn admits that the test he used to determine the cause of death, the Reinch test, um, albeit a presumptive procedure, was not reliable. It's great. It's great of getting the presumption of poison. And it's so good that it's used by toxicologists to this day. I googled it. And the first thing I found was um, the coroner. The coroner, the New York City coroner, uses this test to this day. The Reich test goes as follows. You dissolve the sus- suspect's bodily fluid in hydrochloric acid. It doesn't need to be blood. I just want to point that out, that it does not need to be blood. It could be any fluid that comes out of the body. So I should stop leaving that semen everywhere. Yes, or <laughs> or they could test you for heavy metal poisoning. So maybe... I definitely you know. have heavy metal poisoning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what they do is... They put a piece of copper inside of the said dissolved fluid. When you remove the copper from the fluidly mix, which doesn't have to be blood, again. Fluidly. (laughs) It will have a coat of film on it. And if it's silver, it has the presence of mercury. If it's dark gray, there's the presence of the plethora of other metals, like arsenic or... Or, or titanium or whatever. There are ways to determine what kind of metal is present, but you're looking at at least six or seven other heavy metals besides arsenic. Something that you can imagine Dr. Kilburn didn't take any time to narrow down. Black metal. Black metal. Black metal. <laughs> <laughs> Power metal. <laughs> that, right? Yeah, new metal is the biggest cause of death. Oh, yeah. <laughs> new metal is a great cause of death. <laughs> So, I mean, after highlighting how he used the test, Kilburn gets the next question. Did you test your land for arsenic? <laughs> Going back to that, yeah. Um, and he's like, yeah, we tested some of the land, but there wasn't arsenic there. But um, we didn't test the specific spot where I buried the stomach. It's, it's just, this guy's incompetency is huge. Yeah, I mean, Kilburn's, Kilburn's a f- dunce. So, um, Foster now tries to get Kilburn to admit that the fireplace could have created such a high temperature that it created deadly fumes of flakes of the infamous green wallpaper. Now, we've been dancing around the color green now for a while. And now, finally, you'll see why we've been obsessing over it. Yeah. So, in 1775, Swedish chemist, car- real chemist, not yeah, real chemist, chemist, this guy, Carl Scheele, who honestly we can do a whole episode about on his brilliant mind and horrible luck. This guy's a fucking. I mean, Isaac Asimov once called him the most the the 
the man with the worst luck. He discovered oxygen, this guy. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it really he really is a brilliant person. Adam but. and Eve discovered oxygen. <laughs> God created oxygen. <laughs> oh, man. So, Shield created a, a chemical compound known as Shields Green. And by the time Marianne Cotton was at her most active, Shields Green and its relative... Paris Green were rampantly popular. We've said it a million times by now how overused arsenic was, but Shields Green was made into essentials. It was, of course, in all green paints, mixed in newspapers, used to dye linens and cottons, mixed into candies, covered children's toys, even used as a main ingredient in some food dyes. The problem is, of course, that Shields Green is highly toxic, and the rest of Europe knew this at that time, but now it boomed in England. Noble women were swooning around parties wearing green dresses, newspaper printers being overcome by vapors from the presses, and the children withering away in their rooms of green wallpaper. Which brings us to the tragedy of the Turner family. A full decade before Marianne Cotton's trial, the three children of the Turner family died in rapid succession. Originally thought to be diphtheria, it wasn't until Dr. Thomas Orton gave a dying child an RKO out of nowhere. Notice the green wallpaper. Oh. Oh my god, are you serious right now? I thought it was... I, I, RKO. It seemed appropriate. It seemed appropriate. We have a thing about Randy Orton, you know? I mean, you know, just... We do. We do have a Randy Orton thing. Just going with the theme, you know? But this is Thomas Orton. Hey, cowboy Thomas Orton. <laughs> that was Bob. <laughs> Never mind. Okay. Anyway, Dr. Orton... No. After putting two and two together, he implores the renowned chemist, Dr. Henry Letheby, to mm. sample the tissue of the children. What he found were traces of arsenic that he ruled could not, not, not have been administered by the parents, but inhaled by the children due to the vapor coming off of the green wallpaper surrounding their bedroom. Now, of course, skeptical people will say, Why didn't the parents get sick from the arsenic vapors? Well, logically, children need a lot less poison to kill them than a full-grown adult does. I think. Well, people were dying left and right, and you know what I found out? Even Napoleon Bonaparte might have died from this. During his time in exile in St. Helen, he painted his room his favorite color, green. And although he died of stomach cancer, it's theorized that the arsenic gave him an increased risk of gastric carcinoma, and high levels of arsenic were found in his hair. Of course, this is all conjecture. I mean, it comes from Wikipedia. But it shows that even somebody like Napoleon Bonaparte was at risk for arsenic poisoning just from the paint on his walls. I heard he put it on his tots, too. <laughs> he liked the color green in his tots. Wait, sorry, wrong Napoleon. God! <laughs> And the merchants who sold it, they didn't know the risks, or they more likely pretended to not know the risks, yeah. because it, it was a fortune until 1870. Um, it's, it, it's really not till a rising pressure from consumers lead, led manufacturer Morrison Company to stop all production of arsenic-laced wallpaper, although the founder was, air quotes, not convinced there was a link between the two. Bullshit artist. What 
What is it with with companies called Morris denying the dangerousness of their products? (laughs) (laughs) This arsenic is not dangerous. These cigarettes are not dangerous. It's a safer cigarette. It's toasted. (laughs) It's a toasted cigarette. You're fine. It's toasted wallpaper. You're okay. But even worse, oh my God. even worse. So 1870, <laughs> they're certain that there's da- a danger to the, the fucking arsenic wallpaper. But it's not till 1903 that the British government takes steps to limit the amount of arsenic that was permitted to be in food. It's just absurd. So, I mean, it's everywhere. It, it takes them another 33 years to limit how much arsenic you can put in food. And I, I said it again with, with the leeches last episode. This wasn't that long ago. No. This was like only a hundred and something years ago. So, now that we, we've established arsenic's everywhere again in Victorian England, back to the trial. So, Russell calls to the stand the Taylor brothers. The Taylor brothers were lodging at the Cottons at the same time as um, <laughs> Joe Natras, and it made zero fucking sense bringing them to the stand. Because all they fucking did was <laughs> sing the praises of Marianne Cotton. They spoke of how well she treated her children, and I'm doing this for the sake of facts, how warm Marianne was to the yes. other lodger there. Yes! Cotton Jim's back, baby! Hugh Grant! Yeah, we were doing so well. Yes! We got through all of this. I thought we were fucking done with the cotton gin. Cotton gin is all-encompassing. It's a circle of life. Academy Award winner 2020. Cotton gin! No. (laughs) Next, Russell called another another bizarrely chosen witness, Natris' doctor at the time of his death, Dr. Richardson. His testimony, again, is so unfucking reliable <laughs> he, he keeps flip-flopping between diagnoses. Um, you know, he, now he, he, he's decided it's kidney disease as a cause of death. But Rus, Rus, as Russell calls it, he's done now. And, you know, like, he, he's just put a giant hole in his case. But it's like, uh, I guess I should stop now. I've kind of pushed this. Um, he hadn't proved that Marianne ever had arsenic. Ever, really. And he definitely not at the time that Charles Jr. dies. But Foster has no fucking witnesses. I mean, he's got the Taylor brother, brothers talking about, mm-hmm. um, all right, she's a nice lady. She was, <laughs> She's a nice lady. She was really nice to Joe. Oh, yeah, they were great. They just went together great. I mean, you know, the way they sang her praises, it almost sounds like she was nice to them. Also. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Not um, as nice as Joe. But, you know, he's got nothing to, to fall back on except the green wallpaper mm. and the missing arsenic that he now believes could have been accidentally mixed into the medications that she got. From it's a possibility. The shit was kept in drawers that were one apart. So it's entirely pot and it looks similar to stuff that she got. It's entirely possible. But at this point, I mean, Marianne's toast. There's nothing Foster's going to say, but he does poke holes in this enough that you could have come to some reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we get we get to this disregarding of the evidence in, from the opening arguments from Russell, and now it's time. Next, Russell called upon yet another bizarrely chosen witness, Natris's doctor at the time of his death, 
Dr. Richardson. Again with this fucking guy. This guy, his testimony has become increasingly unreliable because he's flip-flopping diagnoses. Every time he talks, he's saying Natris died of something different. And now, during the trial, he settled on kidney disease as his cause of death. And with that, Russell closes his case. Um, he, he put the prosecution rests um, with a giant gaping hole. Through all this, with all the testimony about what a bad person Marianne Cotton was, he's never tied her to arsenic in her possession at the time of Charles Jr.'s death. But Foster doesn't have any witnesses of his own and has no choice but to begin his closing arguments. The defense highlighted that the case was circumstantial at best, that the wallpaper or the arsenic mixed into medicines could have, could have accidentally poisoned Charles, but he's discredited the testimonies given before and highlighted how reputable and high esteem Marianne had been held in in the community. But Russell was prepared. And he gave yet another television Oscar-winning masterpiece of a closing argument. He disregards his advice again and reminds the jury of the trail of bodies behind Marianne Cotton and her experience as a nurse and spoke warmly and tragically of poor Charles Jr. saying of the boy, He was the tie upon her. A tie which she was willing to get rid of. A tie she had tried to get rid of, but she failed. Russell, a very jowly man, <laughs> took to alternate causes of his death and shredded him. Marianne was painted as a heartless monster, and with only one hour of deliberation, I think we can all guess how the jury comes back. The jury had to be convinced ahead of time. I don't know much about jury selection in Victorian England, but I cannot imagine it was as thorough as it is today. We said before this was a spectacle. She was made into a monster, and nobody in those small mining towns could avoid it. Her face was plastered on walls. Jesus Christ, tickets were sold to this event. That jury walked in knowing she would be hanged. Yeah, so, I mean, this was an easy guilty verdict, and Judge Archibald comes to his seat and asks Marianne one question. Have you anything to say why sentence of death should not be passed upon you? To which Marianne responds meekly, I'm not guilty. The judge was appalled, giving an almost admirable speech to Marianne, saying that death by poisoning was the most detestable of all crimes, and with that, he passed his sentence, saying, I would urgent, earnestly urge you to seek out for your soul the only refuge that is left for it, in the mercy of God through the atonement of Jesus Christ. It only remains for me to pass upon you the awful sentence of the law, which for you to be taken from hence to the place of execution, that you be there hanged by the neck until you shall be dead, and that your body be afterward buried with the precincts of the prison in which shall have last been confined after your conviction. May the Lord have mercy on your soul. He rang his gavel and scheduled her death. Surprisingly, the public reacted negatively, dwelling on the fact of how fair much of it had been. 
Appeals were made, some of which even reached the queen. But none were heard. Dr. Scattergood's reputation starts to take a hit, too. Because, listen, Scattergood fucked fucked himself here with all his insistence that this was arsenic poison and ignoring the Turner case, which he should have known about. This Mm -hmm. is information that was there for him to know. Was he ignorant? Was he just not aware somehow, even if it was his professional responsibility? Or was he just trying to use this as a stepping stone? We went into it earlier, but he became a superstar after this. Scattergood became an utmost authority on heavy metal poisoning. He even became the dean of medicine, like we said. All because of his participation in this case. I lauded the guy before, and I'm not going to question the guy's intellect. But it seems to be that this advantageous behavior led a woman to the gallows to further his career. Are... Are you... Implying... Innocence? It's really hard to call. I mean, like... It's really hard to call, because it's so muddled. You don't know what's real and what's not. It is, for now. But let's go back to to Marianne. She was forced to give up Margaret Edith to a foster family, the Edwards, with the strict instructions to keep her child far away from Dr. Kilburn and Colin Riley. <laughs> Thomas Riley! <laughs> Jesus fucking... Now you've got me doing it. Aha! The greater of the Hanks! He is not the greater of the Hanks! He's the Green Mile with Colin Hanks! No! <laughs> no! Could you imagine? It'd be terrible. <laughs> awful. Who would they recast? John Coffey is Colin <laughs> Hanks. Oh my. So. In her final days in prison, Marianne receives very few visitors. Except, strangely, you know, a couple. Um, Margaret Stott was one. She comes, you know, to prepare for upcoming hanging. And her stepfather, George, shows up. His alleged intention was to get Marianne to confess. To which, you know, she... No, I'm not confessing. Blaming now tainted arrowroot from the pharmacist. Now, George, of course, asked her why on earth would she bring this, not bring this up at the trial, to which she only shrugged and said, I shut the fuck up. <laughs> Marianne became an avid letter writer as well. Oh, <laughs> These indecipherable letters. She rambles about her innocence, blaming Thomas Riley, Dr. Kilburn, James Robinson somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Robinson really becomes her obsession in these letters, blaming him for all her problems. She she alternated begging the man to help her and couldn't understand why he didn't come and visit her. Uh, it was, it, you know, I don't know, maybe it's because she stole all his money and killed his fucking kids. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And, like, dropped one of them off somewhere and he couldn't find him I you know maybe maybe it's you know just Marianne being a grieving widow and and the family maybe 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 he's you know she's a mess but and it's all James Robinson's fault while Marianne poured that heart onto paper 
the magistrate finally picked the hangman for the most important hanging of 1873. And who else to do the deed? But Mr. William Calcraft, the most prolific and horribly incompetent executioner in England. In his 45-year career, he executed 450 prisoners, all with what is known as the short drop hanging method. Basically, he kicked the stool out from the hangman's neck. He was a man with a flair for the dramatic, as most times he would pull on the victim's legs or climb on their shoulders as they strangled to death, hoping to break their necks with this performance. Given he retired in 1874, Marianne was one of the last executions he would sadistically oversee. So he sucked at his job. Horribly. I, I mean, that, that seems to be a recurring theme in, <laughs> in Marianne's life, is people who sucked yeah, at their job. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, you dropped. You didn't break your neck. You're just sort of twitching on the rope. <laughs> I'm going to hang on to you now. <laughs> well, this is the first thing we go. <laughs> so the dawn of the 24th comes, and Marianne was summoned by two priests. A young priest and an old priest. <laughs> Max von Sydow <laughs> makes a return. Frantically, she professed her innocence over and over. It's the arrowroot and the arsenic soap. But no one's fucking listening now. I mean, the, they didn't hear the appeals. The priests aren't going to break her out of jail. <laughs> the priests, praying over her, led her through the prison to the gallows where Calcroft was waiting. Who knows what went through her mind as the rope was lowered o- over her head. Who knows what, if any, regrets she had. What we know is that more than 20 people were, were dead in the wake of this woman, most of them children. Whether she deserved it or not, the gallows dropped, and there she hung, gasping for air. Calcraft, of course, leaned on her shoulders, pushing her over and over again until he heard the wet snap of her neck. She swung, twitching, for three minutes until she was pronounced dead on March 24th, 1873, at 49 years old. Well, I can't say she didn't deserve it. I mean, you know, I might have just said that she was innocent, but there's a lot of deaths that are still very, very questionable. The Malbury clan didn't get fucking decimated in a couple of years is pretty suspect. Then everything that happened with poor James Robinson. I mean, maybe she didn't do Charles Jr. Maybe she was railroad. But in my opinion, she was an abomination of a person. Well, that's what got her to be at Madame Tussauds. What? Yeah, you, you said so yourself. This was the Super Bowl. And, you know, every great event needs to be immortalized somehow. And back <laughs> then, Madame Tussauds took full advantage and created an abominable wax statue of her in their Chamber what? of Horrors exhibit. What? And they actually, true story, they used that wax that wax body of hers as James Wood's stunt double in Videodrome. Really? No. Oh. <laughs> of course not. Oh. But... In the vein of horror, a play was released of her life that had critics divided. Some called it delicious horror. Like Cronenberg. <laughs> this is Cronenberg-esque. <laughs> Hitchcockian. <laughs> Others panned it as exploitative and just all around bad. Like Cronenberg. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. This is a Cronenberg movie. <laughs> 
I think it's probably worse than anything Cronenberg ever made. Video drum directed by Tommy Wiseau. Long live the new flesh, Mark. <laughs> oh, hi. <laughs> that marquee photo you mentioned of her looking all devilish. Remember that one? Yeah, 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 the wrestling photos. Yeah, 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 they sold that. Oh, of course they did. <laughs> they, they made shit ton of money on, on her image. I gotta ask, were there ghosts? Of course. Of course. Of course, ghosts. this is Victorian England. Everybody had a ghost. <laughs> Everyone had a pet ghost. Commoners reported seeing her victims prowling the streets in late hours. Howling in pain and agony. Now, was this before or after she died? Oh, after, of course. Oh. Those, those ghosts didn't have the balls to be around when she was alive. She'd kill them again. <laughs> well, I gotta say, we're only a, two episodes in, and it just stays bleak, huh? Uh, not necessarily. Oh. Yeah, rem- remember, uh, first episode, we talked about few and far between silver linings? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there are a couple. Remember the child Marianne stole from James Robinson, George Robinson? Oh, yeah, that poor kid. Yeah, the Robinsons are finally reunited after Marianne's death. Oh! And he follows in his father's footsteps and becomes a successful shipwright of his own. Oh, cool. And Margaret Edith, Mm -hmm. her final child, the one that was in prison with her. The Boba Fett of the Margaret clones. Yes. Yeah. She decided she can't live in her mother's footsteps in England. And immigrated to the United States. Oh. And got married. Aw. Nah, he died. Oh, Jesus. All like mother, like daughter. No, no, no. He w- he wasn't poisoned. Oh, okay. He, he got hit by a train. Oh. What? Yeah, he got hit by a fucking train. And oh. after the death of her husband, Margaret Edith couldn't handle it and moved back to England and reunited with her foster family, the Edwards. There, she remarried and had several children who... Oh, God, she killed them too, didn't she? No, 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 they, they lived a very happy life. Oh, good. Oh, that's great. Yeah, except um, two of her kids died in the Great War a week before it ended. I gotta tell you, these are some of the worst silver linings I've ever heard. Yeah, well, I mean, it doesn't get a lot bleaker than this story. Um... Margaret Edith, the last of the Margaret clones, died in 1954. Jesus! And with the with that, that's the end of Marianne Cotton. Thank God. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, it's it's quite a story. And again, I can t- I can tell you, it, it was. It's not about our opinions in this but I can tell you I think she definitely got railroaded but there is so much circumstantial evidence it is it's it's very hard it's very hard to to paint a picture of guilt or innocence but like I said before the fact remains that there are there are a lot of people dead because of this woman a lot a lot yeah it's it gets to a point where it's almost too many to chalk up to coincidence and the illness of the time. Mm-hmm. And the money. I mean, you know, the money popped out. Yeah. So it, it, there's motive. There's definitely motive. There's definitely the opportunity. But what's never been proved is the means. Yeah. Did she ever have arsenic? Which is crazy. You know? Like, it's crazy. 
that all of this stuff never once they had a mysterious powder and that was it they couldn't figure out who, what it was you can you can probably prove that everybody in that time period had arsenic except yeah. Marianne Gunn. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus! So first series in the books, huh? First series Jeez. in the books. Um, as we said at the start, we've hired management, yeah. so um, hopefully we will be far more regular with management supervisors. Thank you for bearing with us. If you're tuning in after a two-month fucking hiatus between. <laughs> two episodes <laughs> really thank you for bearing in thank you for the support you guys are great a hundred and something listeners I mean I never I mean it's not a lot in the long run but each and every one of you from the bottom of my heart thank you absolutely I, I, I can't tell you how much we appreciate everybody who's given us the time and will continue to give us the time mm-hmm. and I gotta tell you I know what we're doing next I'm not gonna spoil it for yes. you guys there'll be some teasers coming on Facebook mm-hmm. eventually it's a fucking hell of a story that's gonna um it's gonna out death Marianne Cotton. Oh, far and beyond. Far and beyond. And it'll be a story a lot of you are familiar with. Mm-hmm. Yep. Especially recently. Yeah. Especially recently. So um, Okay, so you know, if if you have a topic you want us to cover, just shoot us a message either on the Facebook page or or at our email at cardinalsinsentertainment at gmail.com. Um we don't have a Twitter or anything yet or an no, Instagram. Yeah, we will. And we'll, we will. Yeah. Uh, if you have any ideas, if you have any anything, just let us know. Give us a shout. Let, you know, we'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. And um, listen, I have to go back to telling kids about the divorce of their parents. And, <laughs> and Pat's got a goat waiting to fight. I got some goats to fight. Uh, you know, he's got, he's got a Vegas date lined up, I think, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Sands? Yeah. yeah, yeah the Sands. The goat excellent. fighter. Yeah. Um, follow us on SoundCloud, Spotify, anywhere you can get a podcast and rate us, please. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I love you all so, so fucking much. So much. Yes. Thank you. We, we greatly appreciate it. And we'll see, we'll talk to you soon. Yep, take care. <laughs>